I'm Michael Laurie, and you're listening to the Ulster Rugby Roundup. Hello and welcome to this week's Ulster Rugby Roundup. Adam McKendry in the host chair for the second week as Gareth continues to enjoy his time off. And joining me today is Belfast Telegraph rugby correspondent Jonathan Bradley. Hello, how are we? Coming up on the podcast this week, we take a look ahead to a mouthwatering clash against Claremont at Kingspan Stadium on Friday night. But first, Johnny, I said it was going to be a cracker at the wreck. I'm taking all the credit here because you guys said it wasn't going to be a cracker and I was proven completely right. So I'm going to take that as a win for me in the podcast stakes. Not sure if I go as far as to say it was a cracker. No matter no matter what you say, I'm going to say it's a cracker. And it I'm was taking... engrossing and I enjoyed it. I don't know if... Uh... Everybody would have enjoyed it. It's maybe not something you would show to uh, a neutral or the unconverted. Maybe not. Um, the skills weren't always at a high yeah. level, but it's and I'm sure a, like a Bath fan would have been like that game was terrible from the perspective of Ulster going over to a difficult place to go and really grinding out a vital European win. It had a real sort of Heineken Cup winter feel to it, which I think is what I enjoyed. Old school grind, mm. heavy heavy pitch and a dramatic end for anybody who didn't happen to see the game or has been living under a rock for the last week be weird um, to be listening to this podcast having not watched yeah i know game, but... but just in case uh bath 16 ulster 17 and a precious four away points in europe for dan mcfarland's man tries from john cooney and rob little seven points from the boot of cooney and one try saving interception from jacob stockdale in the red earned them the victory but it was a lot closer than anyone i think expected it would be or maybe anticipated it would be at certain points during the game Bath sort of dominated for the first 10 minutes or so Ulster had a lot of good chances sort of in the first half of the second half it was a game that really ebbed and flowed wasn't it yeah Bath started I thought Bath started both halves really well and they looked a bit sharper at the start of both halves than they subsequently did they put together a few more passes before contact at the start of each half. But when they sort of settled into their rhythm, it was sort of a case of Jamie Roberts, who played well, Obano, who played very well, taking contact, looking for contact almost, which Ulster dealt with really handily enough. The spells where I thought Ulster were stretched were when Bath tried to do a bit more behind the game line, really sort of, especially 40 to about 50 minutes. Um, into the second half and then obviously at the very very end of the game but I thought by and large Ulster were able to deal with what they were doing quite handily like the defence was again the highlight of the game from an Ulster perspective I've just written down there Ulster made 167 tackles out of 197 attempted so do, do you think that was more down to the defence or down to Bath not testing them enough because it looked like Bath were a bit one dimensional from where I was Sitting, I thought Bath were a bit one-dimensional. You know, Jamie Roberts was obviously being that Stuart McCluskey type of carry it up the middle and try and create a bit of space for other guys. I agree with your point that they were trying a bit behind the game line, but I thought for the most part Ulster were able to wrap them up quite well. Or do you think I'm sort of playing down how good Ulster were at reading them defensively? I think from a Bath perspective, they'll be looking for a lot more. Like, But we shouldn't, from an Ulster perspective, downplay the difficulty of stopping the likes of a Jamie Roberts the likes of an Abano, 
the likes of uh, Rocket the Goonie, like we were talking about it before we started recording, like just the difference in seeing Rocket the Goonie up close and in person. Like, he's really huge. appreciate one, just how big he is, and two, just how quick he is. Like, I think whenever Jacob Stockdale was looking up and someone coming towards him from that distance, like, um, that's like an armored tank coming at you <laughs> from. Uh, I'll credit the Stockdale for actually slowing him down. Like, there, you always look at that, and that probably goes down on the stats as a missed tackle because theoretically he didn't bring him down, but you know he, he slows him down enough for someone else to stop him. Yeah, he was able to laugh about it to be fair. <laughs> I do think that possibly a good deal of Bath's maybe invention uh, was lost a bit if he had had sort of like a spark plug like an Anthony Watson. And they would have got quicker ball, I think, if they had Francois Lowe deployed in tandem with Sam Underhill, who I thought had a quiet enough day. Probably yeah. Marcel got the better of him. And uh, Kakamasinga, mm-hmm. who would have been just basically like having another uh, <laughs> Rocket Dagoony. Well, it was interesting because Rocket Dagoony was, I thought, their best player. On the day, or one of their best players at I least. I thought Abano was their best player for the whatever 50 odd 50 minutes, odd minutes that he, was, he on. was on. And but, but that was probably just because I picked him as the man to watch, and I was like, there's <laughs> normally the man to watch that I pick for their the day of the game in the paper. Normally goes off injured after about twelve minutes. <laughs> somebody actually made a good impact for us. Or it's years. always it's always whenever you're doing that, you pick like the the two men to watch, and it turns out one of them's not playing. You're kind of sitting there going. I really have not covered myself in glory here. Yeah, so that's why I wait for the teams that are nice <laughs> now. Because like, we used to, back in the old days, we used to do three key battles to watch. And you would always have to do them um, the day before. And it would always be that thing of, you know, guessing pro 14 yeah. teams. Like guessing three Benetton players that were definitely going to play. Yeah. Like it's very difficult to bounce back in from not having played a lot of rugby at the World Cup, but being out in the World Cup. Well, this, this is one of the things that I think a lot of people were talking about beforehand. Bath were bringing back their England guys. Okay, Cognizant Singer didn't play, but you bring back Joseph straight in. You bring back uh, Underhill, Rory McConaughey. You, know, you, you put them straight back into the team. How are they going to gel? How are they going to play? having been out since the World Cup, having played so much at the World Cup. And I thought particularly those three were quite quiet. Joseph was at least trying something, but he, he never made that sort of big X-factor impact that I think they were hoping that he would make. Yeah. And I think that's credit to Ulster because I think, you know, Kutsia was very much going on a one-on-one crusade against Underhill and kept him very quiet. Kutsia was like, so, not to take anything away from John Cooney, but Kutsia was one of the most like you know what? Sometimes whenever you're watching Kutsia, like you know he's making a big in- impact. You see all the impact he's doing, but you you sort of kind of think, well, he always does that, so he can't be man of the match. It's, it's like Tom Brady. You know, you, you never say Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback in the NFL. You just know he's the greatest quarterback in the NFL, so you kind of want to give it to someone else to spread the love around or something like that rather than always giving it to the same guy. But Possibly, go- yeah. Like, I, I take your point. Like, um, one breakdown turnover that should have won the game. game. He had another turnover where, well, half a turnover, I guess. You could probably split it between him and Alan O'Connor when they held up the ball mm-hmm. carrier. I thought he was superb yeah. against a very decent back row. Talk, talk about Henderson for a bit because he hasn't played yet for Ulster. Or before, before the Bath game, he hadn't played for Ulster this season. Coming back in after the Ireland disappointment, he hasn't been talked about too much in the context of, of this game, but for someone who hasn't been given the line-out duties on a permanent basis, 
I thought he ran the line out extremely well. He, he came up with one big turnover under the shadow of Ulster Sticks yeah. in the first half. Like, Do you know what? Like, that was a classic Rory Best turnover. And it's an Ooh. obvious comparison to make with him coming in as the captain. But mm-hmm. at a time when they really, really needed mm-hmm. it, really key, crucial point in the game and underneath the post. Like, Best made an entire career out of making turnovers underneath his own posts. I think for him to be able to have that sort of big moment was huge for him on the day that it was. But I thought it was really interesting the way that he talked. He used the word refreshing buzz and stuff to describe and basically said that he'd be looking forward to playing for All-Star again for two months. I think, you know, we always think about the World Cup hangover. You know, to go from those sort of two extremes, freezing cold day, boggy pitch you know you sort of wonder about the calm down then he comes in and he's like i find it so refreshing to be back here i've been looking forward to it for so long Mm. and the energy that people are bringing in training is he used the phrase different to an awful lot of what i've experienced before presumably i think he meant with ulster there Mm -hmm. but yeah i think it's a good point because he didn't really get split same with herring i didn't think herring really got spoken about as having a really good game obviously his like um, World Cup experience was different to anybody else's really mm-hmm. um, Jordy again I thought looked good in the sense that if you watch Jordy if you you know if you spend 10 minutes watching him you can sort of see what he's doing I think other times if you watch the ball and just focus in on the immediate action you can maybe miss what's happening with Jordy Murphy sometimes mm-hmm. but if you just watch him like just spend 10 minutes of the game I think he does the work that your classic open side does. You don't notice him until he's not he, there. until he's not there. And the team looks an awful lot better when he is. Yeah. He made thirteen tackles in that game, which I believe just just looking at the stats here in front of me, which is second most in the team for, throughout the game. He should have gotten offload from Luke Marshall whenever he made that break into the twenty-two. I think yeah, if Luke Marshall yeah. had given that ball, I think Jordy was over. And again, Kuzia can't keep Underhill quiet for the entire game. You know, he's he's got to yeah. have help. So Murphy is doing some unseen work there. I mean, he's just doing a lot of work behind the scenes that people aren't noticing, but I'm sure people within Ulster are noticing. Absolutely, yeah. One other uh, Ireland international we've got to talk about the very defining moment of the game, Jacob Stockdale. For someone who has had his defence criticised so much, it was really good to see that it was him who made that read going back to make the intercept. He backs Cooney to make the tackle and he says, I'm going to cover this guy and it pays off for them. He actually makes that intercept almost entirely himself because he shoots out and pressurises the pass. Doesn't stop the pass, but Mm. it would have been very easy for him, you're right, I think, to uh, be like, well, I'm out of the play here. But when you see him coming back, and it's the angle from behind the posts where you can see it. You know, he's pointing to Cooney of, you stay there, make him pass the ball. But he actually, he runs really cleverly, completely out of Mercer's line of vision. Mm-hmm. So that basically, the the first Mercer will see him is when he goes to throw the pass, or just the split second after he throws the pass. And you can imagine what he's thinking because he doesn't, he's not even aware that he's in the picture because he's running behind him so mm-hmm. he can't see him. So Cooney can see him and Cooney's being directed by him. Whether Cooney get any arms in that tackle, I think, <laughs> I think BT Sport pointed that out on like the sixth or seventh time they showed their replay yeah. that it might have been a bit. Uh... Uh, it's too late to go back for the TMO now. We can... Yes, yeah, like, <laughs> also I've already celebrated this win twice at this point. <laughs> um... It's one of those ones where Stockdale's maybe 
one of those guys who just needs something to break for him to get back in that run of form to get back at it, it didn't even necessarily be a try and it could be that this intercept you know making that good defensive read is the thing that gets him his confidence back if you remember a couple of years ago it was me that pointed out to Rory Bess that he hadn't uh, won in an Ulster jersey in a year and it didn't go down particularly well so I think I'm going to leave that to somebody else if it, come, if it comes up to the 12 month anniversary of his last Ulster try but like that's life do you know what I mean like there's a reason that there's no winger averages a try a game like he yeah. was for a long a long stretch and you know, sometimes you don't get the break of the ball we talk about wingers having to come looking for work and whatever but like i think he had two carries against monster two carries against monster and he only had six carries in this game as well yeah so like the ball's not particularly coming his way you talk about a lack of continuity which i'm sure will sort of lack of flow to the back play mm. which i'm sure will come on to if play is breaking down and it's a bit bitty and stuff from 9 10 12 13 then it's obviously the winger that suffers because mm. the ball's not coming out to him you know and at the end of the day i think the biggest thing that we have to point out is it's an away win and we talked about how important that was the week before or last week you know away wins in europe are like hen's teeth you take them whenever you get them the no matter how I, they come sorry um the reason that ulster didn't qualify for the quarterfinals was because their away form was putrid in this competition you know they beat oina and then between that and going to Racing last year, the only team they beat away from home in this competition was Harlequin. Now, in the pool stages, they've won three away games in a row. So the transformation under Dan McFarland's watch of how good an away team this is. We've seen it in the league as well. They've had some good away wins, but the contrast is starker because they were so bad away in Europe before that. It's huge because we talked about it before. This isn't a team that scores and that gets a lot of bonus points. So you need to win five games. And it doesn't take a great mathematician to work out that if you need to win five out of six games, two of them are going to be away. So it's a transformative result, regardless of how they got it. This weekend, where Ulster welcome Clermont d'Auvergne to Kingspan Stadium. Massive to back it up. Obviously, you've got four points on the board now. I think I put another four points on the board. Eight points after two games with a double header against, theoretically, the lowest-ranked team in the pool harlequins coming up in december ulster would be in a brilliant position if they could pick up four points on friday night. if they beat claremont tomorrow night then they should go through because they should beat bath at home and they should take a good chunk of points against Harlequins. if they lose tomorrow night then it's the same essentially the same as if they had a beat claremont and lost to bath you know mm. that would sort of bring them back down to par i suppose if they were to lose against claremont a lot of the good work that you've done the week before goes out the window essentially i think that they will win tomorrow i don't know what you it's a very interesting one because if you look at the two teams and size them up, you obviously say that Claremont's team is better on paper. Now we'll, we'll discuss, we, we have the Claremont team in already and there's a very interesting selection at halfback where uh, Laidlaw and McIntyre start ahead of Parrell and Lopez. But there's always one thing that you factor in that's never on a stat sheet, never on a, on a preview, but it's just that Ulster always raise their game for a French team in Belfast. Yeah. Always. It's it's bizarre how, no matter how Ulster's form has been in the preceding weeks or how their form will be in the following weeks, Ulster always pull out a performance against the French team in Belfast, particularly on a Friday night. You go back to that Toulouse game, what, that was about three, four years ago now. Yeah, um, yeah that, sorry, that was exactly four years ago. Exactly four years ago. Post-World Cup. Where they completely ran them ragged in in Belfast and Toulouse looked like an absolute shadow of the side compared to the team that they have now. Toulouse yeah. looked absolutely awful. They were a rabble back then. They were a like, rabble. They turned up and they were like, no, we're not going to trade before we arrive. Yeah. I think they had the dub bit or something and they were just like, no, nah, yeah. we'll be fine. <laughs> but 
I think that's one of the big things that you have to bear in mind here. Ulster do love a Friday night game against the French team. And especially whenever you put what's on the line here, you know, you've picked up an away win already. You have to back that up. If Ulster aren't able to back that up, then as you say, all that good work done in Bath doesn't really matter that much because you effectively just dropped down to the par of what you thought you were going to be at after two games. Talk about the record against French teams. I think it's 10 out of ten out of 12. Something like that. The then. loss being, by one of those losses being the Bordeaux game, which is well, genuinely one of the worst games I can remember. We will consign that to the annals of history and never mention it again. <laughs> and the other was, one was against the Galacticos of Toulon, yeah, who yeah. were one of the best sides I've ever seen play at Ravenhill. Yeah, well, one of the best. I think you've probably got the Leinster sort of 2012 team, that Toulon team, and then Saracens as the three best teams of decade mm-hmm. by a stretch mm-hmm. you know I don't think you're losing a heck of a lot with O'Sullivan coming in for McGrath I thought O'Sullivan was really good at the weekend Alan O'Connor but I thought it was possibly Alan O'Connor's best game for Ulster um, he had a line out steal as I said he helped could see it with the choke turnover he gave away two silly penalties he also started the break for Luke Marshall and then popped up as the trail runner yeah. and said, I've never, never seen him do that before um, such a good game so him coming in for Carter the only thing it does is probably weakens the bench if you have Jack McGrath and Eric O'Sullivan, then you've got 80 minutes locked down. So it's a big day for Kyle McCall coming on. Um, we mentioned before he'll be up against... Um, You've forgotten his name? I haven't I forgotten his name, I just can't pronounce it. <laughs> it's Rabba Slimani who no, starts and yeah, David Zirakashvili coming on off the bench. I completely whiffed on the pronunciation of his name in the press conference uh, whenever we were talking to Eric O'Sullivan, and it's been in my head ever since. <laughs> David Zirakashvili coming on for them. So that's a big battle projecting down the line if the game's tight you know you're probably looking at expecting a lot of minutes again out of billy burns and cooney mm-hmm. and because you're you're based on the track record this season i don't think ulster are gonna trust david shannon and bill johnson to do anything off the bench yeah like it's nothing against them it's just like dan has shown this season that he's not afraid to have the old uh subs not used which mm. is a rarity in uh, rugby in 2019 very interesting to see para and lopez named on the bench instead of the starting team for claremont very interesting pretty crazy typically french ruins part of my tactical preview well <laughs> <laughs> um, a lot to unpack with it um but it is so strange because claremont have gone full strength in pretty much every other aspect yeah. instead of their halfbacks i mean you look at you know they've got yado and lee in the back or in the back row um, they've got Rack on the wing. Uh, they're, they're missing Peno and Fafana, which are the two big backs. But um, Jadraziak and Tamani in the second row, they've got their full strength front row out. I mean, literally the only place they've decided to rest guys is at halfback, yeah. which so, is arguably the most important two positions in the pitch. It's like 13 out of your 15 starting players. Obviously, Peno, world class player, would have started if he hadn't had uh, three teeth knocked out in a <laughs> training ground and someone should have but And Fafana. So it's a bit like Ulster just starting a game, you know, a European game with 13 of their starting 15, and but not Billy Burns and John Gooney. Like, mm. for me, the fear would be the thing just completely fall apart. Obviously, like, as all French teams in this competition do, they've got decent standard of replacements, but, like, I think they're going to be a completely different team with Laidlaw rather than Power. Laidlaw making his first start for them this season. And as much as... Yato and Raka were the most eye-catching of their performance last week against Harlequins. I thought that Lopez and the variety that he brought to their game 
was the most important player in that win. So for him to not be playing, it has to be seen as a huge win for um, for Ulster. Well, that was a question from Big Jim, part of our listener questions. Thank you very much for sending that in. He was wondering about the basic skills seeming to disappear under pressure. I do think it's the timing thing. I do. Johnny, you've already said that you think Ulster are going to win. Will you venture a prediction at the scoreline or how much by? I think they'll win by eight. So no bonus points no for Claremont? No bonus points for Claremont. I don't want to like go against the grain of um, the last couple of years of this podcast and be overly optimistic and predict two Ulster wins on the bounce. But I think they might win, and I think they'll win impressively enough. Unfortunately, that is all the time we have for this week. Gareth should be back next week for the Ulster Rugby Roundup as we look back at, hopefully, a win over Claremont and look ahead to the Scarlet's game. But for now, enjoy the game if you're going tomorrow night. Johnny, thank you very much. No bother, cheers. And we will see you all again next week. Thanks very much for listening. Oh,